Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. But uh, Father's Day is often um, the lesser day between Father's Day and Mother's Day. It's the way it always ends up being. Uh, one person rightly suggested to me that we praise the mothers on Mother's Day, and we kind of give it to the fathers on Father's Day when we preach to them. That's, and I have to look back, and I look at my, my messages, and I'm like, yeah, that's not wrong, and it's also not right either. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the way it ought to be. Because I think in doing it that way, when we treat them differently that way, I think we, we miss a great opportunity. I mean, maybe not for everybody, but I, I know at least a few of us, myself is one, included in that number, we miss an opportunity to reminisce, to consider what a good father really looks like and what a good father can do, what a good father really can provide to a family. I want to fix that at least a little bit. One sermon won't fix the whole series of sermons have preached in that way, but I want to at least fix that a little bit this morning by taking your attention to this familiar parable. I think it's often called, and I would probably bicker with this a little bit, it's often called the parable of the prodigal son as if it's about the son. I don't think it's really about the son. It's really about the father and his response to the son. We'll see that in just a moment. But I want to do so to remind you of what a good father, if you've been blessed with a good father, in your current, currently, if your father's still alive and you're blessed with a good father, or if he is passed on, but he was a good father and you remember him. I want to remind you of what a good father you've been blessed with. I, I want to inspire some of you that are father, all of you that are fathers, to be this kind of a father for the next generation. And I hope to help what your soul is aching and longing for. By the way, some of us, some of you that have not had good fathers, there's something you're missing in your heart and, and you might even be able to put a finger on it. You might even be able to describe, I didn't have that. And maybe be angry or upset or hurt in some way. You're missing something. And I want to show you that what your heart and soul is longing for is a love of a good father. And I want you to know, I'll go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to hide this from you. You have a good father who loves you. It is God in heaven. He loves you. Even if your earthly father was not. That's what I want to do this morning. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll look at this passage together. Father, please help me as I show these people how good of a father you are. Thank you for loving us in spite of our foolishness, in spite of our wickedness, in spite of our sin. But you loved us. You sacrificed for us. You provided for us. You gave us so much. And Father, I pray that you will help these people to understand that that is what a good father is. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see in this passage, we'll begin in verse 11, but the first thing I want you to notice for just a, the first few verses is what makes a good father is not having great children. I think sometimes you can, we can get that mistake, especially as a father. I, I want to define my success as a father as how good my kids are. And, and my kids are they're pretty good. Uh, but... Uh, if that was what I was hanging my hat on, mm, I don't know. 
I'm kidding a little bit, but you know, you can be and you want to be proud of your children as you should be. I don't have any problem with that necessarily, but your goodness isn't, as a father, is not reflected in how good your kids are. I want you to see this. If you look with me in chapter 15 of Luke verse 11, Jesus is talking here and he said, a certain man had two sons. We've got two young men involved here. He said in verse 12, and the younger of them said said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he, the father, divided um, unto them his living. If you look at this alone, I believe that you're going to see a man here, this young man, this son, is being very disrespectful. He is demanding his inheritance right now. Now, it was not unheard of for children to do this in that era. That was not unheard of. It could happen. It often would happen if you know, maybe the, the younger, one of the younger children wanted to break off and start their own thing, start something new, and they needed something to kind of seed money, if you will, to get started. So it wasn't unheard of. It was actually not unusual for it at the end of a man's life to, to make a decision about his inheritance, as we might do today with a will and things like that, but make a decision about how he's going to divvy up his inheritance before he passes away. So that wasn't unheard of. It was totally an option. But what is unheard of here is that this boy comes and says, Daddy, I want what I want. I want you to give it to me now. And then he says in verse 13, and not many days after. So not many days after, he's gone to his dad. He says, listen, I want my money. I want what's coming to me. I want it now. And then it says within a few days, he's out of the house. What I'm hearing from this is he had leaving on his mind to begin with. He never had any intent of doing anything other than just taking what he could and running with it. He actually values the cash, and I mean that, the cash, not just the goods. Because by the way, this man's the the father here. His wealth would have probably been tied up in real estate, in cattle, in in farms. He would have had had real property. In other words, he's not sitting with a a bank account like some of y'all with a bunch of money in the bank. I know how y'all are. Got all that money in the bank. He's not sitting like with y'all with all that money in the bank. He's got stuff that he's got at his will. Now, if you add it all up and the value of it, it's good money. Don't get me wrong. But what this man had to do is say, okay, listen, you can have these acres of land over here. You can have this cattle over here. You can have these barns over here. That's what you get. But what this young man does is he takes those things and he cashes out the land and the valuables as quickly as he can. Never mind that daddy had worked all those years to build up this legacy, build up this investment, build all these things up, whether you call it youthful ignorance or willful sinfulness, either way he is valuing cash, what he can put his hands on as quickly as he can, he's valuing that over his family, over his father, and over his legacy. That is disrespectful by anybody's definition of disrespect. We don't know if, um, if what was going on with the father and this son, but based on the rest of the way the father acted, I believe the father was taking care of his son. It wasn't like he didn't have anything. But this boy, I think, just said, that wasn't enough. I want it now, and I want what I want. When he gets it, he's wasteful with it. Look at what he does in verse 13. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all, the, all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. He squanders that as fast as he can get it. We don't know exactly how much time passes, but the indication of Jesus in telling this story is not a lot of time. I mean, a matter of months at most. 
it likely took his dad a lifetime to accumulate what he ended up giving over to him. And what's even worse of this, it'd be one thing if maybe he had taken that money and invested it in a business that failed, he invested it in a farm that failed, just picked bad land or any number of things that he was trying to do something, but just it just didn't succeed. Maybe if that had been the case, or, or maybe he had just made a bad investment, or, or like some of y'all have been affected by this, you're just in a bad economy, you know, they cut the jobs, they just cut the pay, you know, if that was the case. But no, this was not that, not at all. He just foolishly throws it away. Look at what he says there, with riotous living, he wasted it on wild, thoughtless living. He's taken something that was valuable, that was worked hard for, and he might as well have lit it on fire. It was that useful. That's a wasteful son. He is a shameful son. Look with me in verse 14. After he spent it all, it says, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. Now, now bad luck does sort of set in on him. He's got nothing left, and it's a famine on the land. But as he goes on there in verse 14, it says, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the field, into his fields to feed swine. He lost everything in verse 14. He's not just poor. By the way, there's no necessarily any shame in being poor. Sometimes that's just a lot that we are dealt in life that we must deal with. There's no shame in having, not, not having a lot. But here's a man who, because by the way, poor folks, generally speaking, are able to figure out how to feed themselves. Generally speaking, not always, I understand that, but not most of the time. Where the shame comes is he had all of this, and now he can't even feed himself. He can't even get food together. He had a, probably by, by estimations of how the, the, the inheritance law would have worked, he probably had one-third of his father's uh, money in his hands. One-third of his father's wealth in his hands, and now he can't even get enough together to fill his belly. He's not only got the shame of losing it all, but in verse 15 it says he's joined with these people and he's going to feed their swine. Uh, to you and I, necessarily wouldn't necessarily be, be shameful work to, to work a pig farm, I don't suppose. Especially down east, we've got a bunch of them around here, so we'd call, kind of call that North Carolina farming uh, around here. But nonetheless, in Israel, that this Jewish audience he's talking to, they would have seen and understood that swine would have been uh, something to be avoided. They would have seen that as unclean. They would have seen that as nasty and filthy. And they would have seen that not only is it dirty work, but it's beyond that. It's almost shameful work because this is, this is a pig. You're not supposed to, as a, as a Jewish person, you're not even supposed to be near them, this, much less touch them or eat them. So you're trying to distance yourself, and here he is. He's going to feed them. So that's degrading work. And I'd like you to, as you read that, think about the fact that there are, even in our time, there's certain kinds of work that would be degrading in just the fact that we would take it up. I'm, I'm not, not talking about pig, pig farming. I'm not talking about that. I'm thinking, but you can think about things that if you, you hear about somebody does that kind of work, you think, man, they must really have it tough. Or they must not think a lot of themselves. Or they must really undervalue what they do. You, you can think of some things like that. We think about sex work and, and, and some things like that, people that are, that are doing you know, drug, drug running and things like that. They're degrading themselves. You say, well, why would you ever do that? That's what this man is involved in. He's doing something that would be seen as degrading himself, taking on a lifestyle that's degrading. And in verse 16, he hits rock bottom. He would have fain have filled his belly with the husks 
that the swine did eat. It's my understanding that these husks that he would have tried to eat would have had really no nutritional value to a human being. Our bodies would not be able to have digested them the same way. They might have filled his belly kind of as if I were to go out in the yard and pick up a pile of mud. It might fill my belly, but it's not going to make, it's not going to give me any nutritional value. But he's wanting to eat this food, the same food that the pigs are eating, which is further show of his degradation. But also, look at what he says, the last phrase there in verse 16, and no man gave unto him. He couldn't even give, get somebody to give him anything, much less even stuff that wouldn't even give him nutritional value. You couldn't get anybody to help him. He has hit rock bottom. He is too far gone. He has been cursed. There is no help. There is no hope from anywhere. So we have a son who is disrespectful to his dad, who has been wasteful in every way possible, who is shameful. By anybody's definition of shame, I would look at this boy and say, man, your daddy would be so ashamed of you. This is the way that we should see this boy. But I want you to see what happens. See, just before we go any further, because you all know the story, I'm sure, but before you go any further in your mind, what would you do? This is your son we're talking about. What would you do? I know what most of us would do. Y'all are in church, and I know you're thinking all religious thoughts, and you're full of faith and hope and love and charity right this morning. I understand that. But let's be honest about what we really do. We'd tell him who's boss. He'd show up at my front door, going to send you packing, boy. You're a disgrace. What are you doing showing up asking for it now? I already did everything I'm going to do for you. What are you talking about? But Jesus tells us what good fathers do. Not what you and I would do, but what good fathers do. They don't give up. They're always abundant. They're abundant to their children. Look what happens in verse 17. He comes to himself. This boy comes to himself. Y'all ever been there? You're at the bottom of everything, and all of a sudden you think, man, what am I doing? (laughs) Why am I doing this? Why do I why am I here? It's what he's done. He comes to himself and he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? He's remembering back that his daddy was abundant in his provision. He's remembering the fact that his daddy at he he is at his worst and he remembers, you know what? My daddy has always had enough for me. My daddy's always taking care of me. You know what good fathers do? They never run out of what their children need. I remember back when I was in college, and it's been a couple years ago uh, that I was in college. I'm, I'm older than I'd like to admit that I am, but I'm nonetheless. I was in college a few years ago, and my daddy worked it out. At this point, I do not know what he did to work it out. I don't know who he had to kill, but he managed to do this. That I came out of my college, and I say this because I, I have two children in college now, and, and I'm thinking, how did he do this? I came out of college, and he had taken care of every bill that it took to put me through college. And, he, and just understand, my daddy was a missionary. And I don't know if you all know about this, but missionaries don't make a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know how he did that. I don't know how he did that. But I can tell you now, when I'm looking back on it, my daddy, when I was at that age and I was in, in college, I, was, I didn't, didn't honor it the way I should have, but looking back on it in my mind, my daddy felt like a rich man to me because he could take care of the things that I needed. And if I think about this, this is what a good father is. He is a, to his children, he comes across as a rich man, whether he's wealthy or not, doesn't matter. He's able to provide, or he works, whether he's able to or not, he works as hard as he can to provide what he can to his children. 
That's what a good father does. And this young man, he remembers, that's my daddy was a good man. My daddy's a good father. So verse 18, he says, I'm gonna, I'll rise and, I'll, and go to my father and will say unto him, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He's coming to his daddy with his hat in hand. He's humble. He's ready to take his licks. He says, verse 19, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He literally is saying, Daddy, listen, I don't have, you don't have to even call me your son anymore. I'll just come back and work for you because I know you treat your servants better than I'm treated right now because of my foolishness. I'll be glad to be a worker. I'll work for you. I will stay in your worker's quarters. I will not even be called your son. I'm fine with that. I'll take whatever, you, whatever you're going to give me. But I want you to pay attention to one thing that goes on here. Okay, there's a couple things happening, but you've got to pay attention to one thing that's very important here. Look at verses 18 and 19. Look at the son's speech. He says, I will arise and go to my father, and I'm going to say this. This is what he says. I've sinned against heaven before thee. I'm no worthy to call thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he's got this speech prepared. Now I want you, I'm going to skip down to verse 21. Look at what he says. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. Now, now if you're going back, y'all watching with me? Don't just listen to me. Watch this. You go back to verse uh, 19. He's got more to his speech. You understand? He's got more he's wanting to say to his dad. But look what happens. Verse 22. But the father saith unto him, and then he goes and talks to him. His daddy interrupts his speech. He doesn't want to hear any more from him. Now, some of y'all, again, your boy shows up. He's shameful like this. He starts giving you the speech, and you do interrupt him. But it's to start yelling at him. Look at what this man does to his son. Verse 20. When he come, when the boy arose, and he came to his father, but when he was a great, yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The boy starts talking, and his daddy says, uh-uh-uh, stop. I you don't want to hear any of it. I love you. I am so glad you're back. You don't have to apologize for anything. You don't have to do anything. I'm going to interrupt you. Instead of giving you a what for, I'm going to give you the biggest hug that ever was. He lays, he rub, uh, rubs, wraps his arms around him. He forgives his son. Now, don't miss what's going on here. This is not just warm feelings in the heart. This boy took one-third of his wealth. This boy took his name into the world and ran it through the mud. This boy is doing things that this man, if he was an observant Jew, would have been distant from. But the minute he sees his son, in fact, there's a suggestion here that the man is probably out there, I don't know if it was the same time every day or he just stayed out there all the time, but he was looking for his son. He's waiting for his son. He's watching for this boy to come. And the minute that he sees him, he runs to him. He's, he, he throws all decor, decorum out the window. He says, I'm not going to stand here being all dignified. I'm going to go run, look like an idiot if it takes that, because I love this boy and I'm going to forgive him for what he's done. I know he's hurt me. This is the essence of forgiveness, by the way. You know what the father's doing? Is he's absorbing the pain. He's absorbing the hurt. He's absorbing the shame. Don't think that there wasn't hurt. Don't think that there wasn't pain. Don't think that there wasn't shame. There absolutely was. And he says, I'll take that if it means I can be with my son. 
I'll take that if that means I can have him back in my presence, back in my arms. If I can have my son, I can reconcile to him. This was not the time for shouting, not the time for anger, not the time for name calling. And as bad as it was, I want y'all to see it was bad. As bad as anything you could think. Think about it, let's put it this way. Think about your children. You've got children. Think about your children. And think about that thing that if they did it, you would be so mad. You would want to disown them. Think about whatever that thing is. It's different for some of y'all. Whatever that thing is. If I, my child did that. Mm. They just did that. And this son, or rather this father, lovingly embraces and says, I know you did something I didn't want. It hurt me when you did it, but I love you anyway. That's forgiveness. That's what a good father does. But look at what he does in verse 20. He says that he arose and he came to his father, and when his father was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Instead of rejecting his son, instead of turning him away, he's waiting so he can hit, hug him and kiss him. He doesn't give him a cold shoulder. He doesn't show him what's, what's, the, what's up. Nothing can stand in front of a good father's love. He loves his son. He fully embraces him, even, especially at his worst. He's abundant in his grace. Of course, he interrupts his son in verses 21 and 22. We see him interrupting his son. Why is he interrupting him? Not to tell him, well, I, you, better, you better, be, better come here with your tail tucked between your legs. No, no, he interrupts him to say, look at what he does in verse 22. The father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. He says, listen, my son is telling me how worthless he is, but I'm going to interrupt that apology and give him wealth and gifts and blessings, clothing and protection. I'm going to give him food. I'm going to give him reception. I'm going to give him joy. I'm going to say, y'all come. We're going to get the whole neighborhood in here because my son is back. My son is back. He's not saying, well, I'm going to give something to you that you deserve. No, he's withholding that mercy, and he's going to give him stuff that he doesn't deserve. That's called grace. A good father, James tells us in one, James 1.17, that our father is a good father, and he gives good gifts. He doesn't just give good gifts because he doesn't know how to do anything else, although that is part of it. He just gives good gifts because he's a good father. But he gives good gifts even if his children deserve nothing or even if his children deserve punishment, he gives good gifts. I can testify to that in my own life. I have been far from perfect. And that's underselling it in a big way. But my God has continued to show grace to me. He has blessed me. And you can say, well, that's because you've been a good man, you've done this. No, no, it's actually not the case. If it was based on my goodness, based on what I have done, oh my goodness, I would be paying eternity in hell is what we call that. That's what I would be paying based on what I have done. But my God, in spite of my sin, has loved me and given me grace. Look in verse 24. He says, my son was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Yes, his son is showing some humility, and I think that's the right reaction for this son to have in this situation. 
But the father seems to be prepared no matter what his son comes up. I, I believe, the way this story is written, I believe that this son could have come up there and said, Daddy, you didn't give me enough. And this father would have brought him back in just and loved him exactly the same. I, I don't think it was just the attitude of his heart. His attitude helped, don't get me wrong. But that was not the, the point here. This father seems prepared to do this no matter what. And since there is some humility, do you know what this father's doing? I can see the exaltation in his heart. There's just joy bubbling over. You see, what a good father does is he thrills over his children. He loves his children. He's, he's excited to see them doing anything. And when they move in the right direction, oh my goodness, they just, it just his heart explodes with joy. We have a good father. When he, a good father uh, has joy over his children. Now, the funny thing about this story is it's not just, that's why I say I don't think it's just about the prodigal son. I don't think the prodigal son's the right term because it's not just about the boy because there's another son that comes up in this story. He comes up in verse 25. There's the elder son, the elder son as he's called. He's in the field, verse 25, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. Verse 28, this, this man, he's angry, he says, and he was angry, would not go in. Therefore his father came out and entreated him. Here we've got the, the older son who would have been entitled to probably two-thirds of his father's wealth, the other two-thirds, and his brother took one-third because that would have been his right to take. That's probably how this would have worked out. But the older son, he's basically saying, I don't know what in the world you're doing, Daddy. He took it from you one time, he's going to do it again. He hurt you once, he'll do it twice. And if he does it twice, he'll do it three times. If he does it three times, he'll do it four times. He's that kind of fan. Why are you doing this, Daddy? Why are you doing this? I want you to pay attention that this, this father, which is a good father, Jesus puts him as a, a, a type of a good father. Look at what he does. He goes out in verse 28 and he entreats him. He, he, he tries to soothe him and solve for him. Look at verse 29. And answering, he said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I may make merry with my friends. So he's just complaining to his dad. He says, But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. He says in verse 31, he said to his son, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. You know what a good father does? He patiently teaches in this situation. Yeah, there's a son. He's got a complaint. It's not a, not a, not a ridiculous complaint, but he also needs to learn a few things about what a good father is supposed to do. He's teaching him. He's patient. If this willful child, he, he'll use correction where he needs to. That's what a good father does. He's patient in teaching his children. But in verse 31, I want you to see there, he says, Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. You know what a good father does? He is abundant in his presence. He's always with his children. The father gives all that he can. He says, I'm going to always be with you. I'm going I'm to give you something more precious than stuff. I want to make sure I'm real clear on this point here about a father's presence always being with us. I acknowledge that some of you, your father has passed on. He is in heaven, I hope, if he is a believer in the Lord. He's not on this earth. But if it was a good father, 
A good father's presence is still with you. And I'm not talking about some spooky thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that his wisdom and the spirit of his influence continues to this day. That's what a good father does. That's what good fathers do. In fact, I would even go so far as to argue, while I'm making a bigger point in this sermon, that this is probably one of the things as, as human fathers we ought to strive the most for. Because there's going to come a time where the best of us is going to die. There's going to come a time where the best of us, the most wealthy among us, our riches are going to fail. But if we can be the kind of men that our presence is always with our families, that we continue on and on and on, even long after we're gone, that, I believe, is reflective of our Heavenly Father who's promised to never leave us or forsake us. And that is worth, that is worth everything. A good father is there for his children no matter what they need. In verse 32, he says these words, it was meat. Now that word meat is an interesting word. It's not just saying it's, it's, it's good or it's an okay thing. He's actually saying it was necessary. It is meat. It is necessary that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. He's saying, I had to do this for my wayward son. It was required. Now, I want to tell you this. Without a doubt, your children will fail you in some way. If you're a parent, they're going to fail you in some way. They're going to disappoint you. And by the way, if they don't disappoint you, you have made an idol out of your children. Because they none of them perfect. But they're going to fail you. They're going to disappoint you in some way. You will fail your parents. You haven't already, which I'll be surprised because you're lying if you say you haven't. But if you haven't, you will someday fail your parents. But you know what a good father does? He unconditionally accepts his children in spite of their failings. They will always be his children. He will never turn away from them. He will always accept them as his children. They will not be perfect. As the psalmist of our time, George Strait, sang, <laughs> daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end. Amen. That's what fatherly love is like. I've heard it from at least three or four times from Bruce Long talking about how he's been acknowledged or has acknowledged agape love when he became a father in a way that he would have never understood it otherwise. And I think if you even strive to be a good father, that that's what you get. You get exposed to that because good fathers provide, they forgive, they love, they show grace, they rejoice over their children, they're patient with their children. They're present for their children, and they accept their children at all times, no matter what. Of course we do that when everything's good and right. That's easy, right? But we also do that when we disagree with them, politically or biblically. We also do that when they align themselves with sinful and hurtful practices. They may come to us and tell, tell, them, tell us that they are involved with immoral relationships homosexuality, drug addiction, criminal behavior. But we still love them. They're still our children. And I want to tell you, I, 
Don't know what it's going to feel like when I'm there. But a good father wants to love his children even in those circumstances. When they hurt you, and they may have done that to some of you, you may have children that have hurt you. They may have mistreated you. They may take what you tried to give them and waste it. They may not call you and they may not visit you. But a good father will love his children. In spite of that, I would even dare say, like our Heavenly Father, in light of that. I know that my own father loved me, sacrificed for me when it wasn't the most easy thing to do. He was patient with me when I bucked him and didn't agree with him on some things, but he loved me in spite of that. And I know I'm over my time, but I've got to close. I want to give you this to close with. Some of you did not have good fathers. What I've described, you say, well, I wish my daddy had been like that. I still want to say to you, happy Father's Day. Thank God, because that father, that model father that's described there, Jesus put that picture there to show us what our heavenly father does and looks like. He is the wonderful and loving model father. He loved you in spite of your foolishness and your rebellion. And he is at this moment welcoming you back home with open arms. If you're a Christian and you're far from your father and you've been running from your father, he's waiting for you to accept you back home. Why don't you come to him today? If you're an unbeliever, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never had your sins forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. He, the Father, is still standing there with open arms. And the minute that you show that you're ready for that, he will run to you and he will embrace you and he'll put a kiss on you. He's that kind of father. He's ready for you. He waits for you with open arms. Now, some of you that are fathers, I want to remind you, this is what good moral guidance for you. This is what the best fathers should do, and I want to encourage you to be a good father. If you've done it to this point, you've tried, great, wonderful, keep on, don't stop. Especially some of us that have not, our children, like my children, are just now starting to get grown. I understand it gets harder before it gets easier. And some of you that are with younger children, I want to promise you, I can tell you from I'm thinking about the Scots here with these little ones, and you get them up to teenagers. It's, it's going to get harder. I know that. Different things, and every child's a little different. I want you to know that uh, you need to go ahead and get started if you haven't already. And if you're doing it, keep on. Love your children no matter what. Follow the image of your Heavenly Father. And to those of you that have good daddies, I see a few of you got some tears in your eyes because I think you're thinking about your own father. That is awesome. And you better thank the God above that you had that father. A dad who pointed you to what a heavenly father, our heavenly father did, whether he meant to or not, whether he knew exactly what he was doing or not, but by being a good father to you, he showed you what the heavenly father did for you. Why don't you take a minute, for those of you that are in, that, in those shoes, if that's where you are, you better go ahead and just... I wouldn't be upset with you if you shouted real loud and said, thank you, Lord. You need to do that. Thank God for that father. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast 
from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.